0: The following podcast is a green fresh media production. hey trailblazers welcome back to the business casual podcast if you're new here my name is stacy and i am the host and co-founder of the business casual i'm so glad you clicked play on this episode you are in for a treat as i interview judy goldrink also if you are not following the podcast on instagram be sure to follow us there at business.casual.podcast so we can connect with you and you can stay up to date on all things business casual as well as see the behind the scenes of the podcast also a reminder that if you are enjoying our content, to please rate, review, and subscribe. You can rate re- you can write a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can leave a five-star review on Spotify. It really does help our podcast grow, and we really appreciate all of the support. Today's episode is all about finding a voice in the workplace, sharing more about what a career for 40 years has looked like for Judy Goldrink at AGF, which was her family business started by her father, as well as how mentorship has played a role in her career. She shares a little bit more about her experience at the CEO for a day conference, which this episode is sponsored by, which you'll hear more about in a little bit. Judy also shares some very tangible tips as you transition from a work from home job to a job in the office. Learning a bit more about Judy, Judy Goldrink is a renowned leader in the asset management industry and one of Canada's most influential businesswomen. As the president and head of global distribution at AGF Management Limited, she oversees the execution of strategic plans in support of business priorities, counsels the CEO on business planning, and provides direction for corporate initiatives. Reporting to the CEO, Judy also brings unified accountability to and fosters greater synergies across AGF's respective sales distribution channels globally. Judy is also a member of the executive management team, where she assists in the development and execution of AGF strategy. In addition, as a member of the board of director for AGF Management Limited and AGF Mutual Funds, she provides strategic leadership and vision that promotes AGF's long-term growth. Before joining AGF, Judy specialized in regulatory and administrative law. She received a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from the University of Toronto and earned her Bachelor of Laws from Queen's University. She is a member of the Law Society of Upper Canada and has been a member of the Canadian Bar Association since 1993. In 2019, she received an honorary doctorate of law from the University of Toronto. Judy is a vice chair of the Investment Funds Institute of Canada's Board of Directors and sit on the Board of Toronto French School. Canada's international school, which is the largest bilingual school in Canada. In addition, Judy serves on the Scholarship Advisory Committee for the Children's Aid Society, as well as as a lead fundraiser for the JDRF $100 million campaign to accelerate. In 2015, Judy was named a Top 100 Hall of Fame inductee by the Women's Executive Network, WXN. This distinctive honor is given to women who are nominated as one of Canada's most powerful women Top 100 for a fourth time. Before being nominated in 2015, Judy was recognized by WXN in 2012, 2013, and 2014. Judy was also honored as one of the Women's Post Top 20 Women of 2010. Judy is definitely a trailblazer in the business industry, and I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hey, trailblazers! Welcome back to the Business Casual, and welcome back to another interview. Today, I am very pleased to be sitting down with Judy Goldrink, who, as you heard from her bio in our introduction, is a very accomplished. Canadian business leader, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. Hi, Judy. How are you? Hello. How are you? Great to be here. I'm so glad you were here. This is going to be an exciting conversation. You are also a UFT alumni, which I'm very excited about. Obviously, I go to UFT, and anyone who knows me, knows I talk very highly about the school. So it's nice to be with, uh, with an alumni.
1: I loved UFT too. I mean, it's <laughs> a place special in my heart, and I actually had the pleasure of being a chair of governing council for. Three or four years and was on the board for many years so it was it's a great great place and uh, hopefully you can continue to give back during you know many years after you graduate
0: yes that is the hope hopefully you know U of T set me up for success and I'll be able to continue giving back um as I enter my career and obviously this is a perfect icebreaker question for you as a U of T alumni who has spent countless hours on campus what was your favorite study spot when you were a student
1: well you know I have to say one thing I love so much about the campus, uh, the King's College campus, is just the fact that you can find so many special spots in such a busy city. And probably my favorite study spot was Emmanuel College Library, and I'm going to date myself, but Tears for Fears back in the 80s did this fantastic video in that library, and so I went in to check it out one day, and it just has that traditional old, old feel to it, that it was one of my favorite spots. Plus I was absolutely guaranteed not to run into any friends, so I would actually be focused <laughs> on my studies.
0: Sadly, I'm not familiar with the music video. But maybe I'll have to check it out so that when I go to middle college, you all know. <laughs> but yeah, that's last night I was at Gerstein, which has been like my recent favorite study spot. But I think that there's such a misconception about U of T. People think that there's not a campus, just like we're scattered throughout Toronto, which is so not true. Like once you get St. George Street, everything is right there and you always run into people. So I really like that aspect because I love the city and I love like being able to have like a little campus. It's definitely not like a full college town, but a little. Spot that's our own in the midst of a very big city.
1: Well, I was at Victoria University. I'm a grad from Vic, and so uh, there is definitely a very neat campus feel with that uh, particular university within the bigger U of T. And of course, now my favorite spot is the Goldring Student Center at uh, yes. Victoria University. <laughs> you have to name That drop. is
0: definitely, definitely a fan favorite. I know a lot of uh, my friends, and I have a lot of friends who play varsity as well. So it's obviously somewhere they are very frequently visiting and spending a lot of time there uh also just on the topic of Victoria College my sister I don't know if she's gonna like this but my sister did just get into U of T so anyone who's listening and has been following her journey she did just get in and she no. was looking at the campus and she was like Victoria College looks like it's Hogwarts so I feel like I should live there because I want to live in Hogwarts so I was like okay it's not actually Hogwarts but no. it is very 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 pretty and storybook feeling
1: it is it is
0: well, now that we've learned a little bit more about your education at UFT, i I'd love if you could describe your career, personality, and passions in your own words.
1: Well, uh, career passions, uh, absolute passion about my company AGF Management and all the employees and the wonderful teams that I get to work with here. Um, I would probably describe myself as a very focused, driven, um, individual who is passionate about so many different things and I try to take that passion through not just my work activities but everything I do so kind of a work hard play hard kind of positioning is 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 maybe one of my mottos I guess I would I would say I live by Um, and I think overall um you know I have to remember and I'm very grateful for everything that I've been able to achieve and everything that I've been able to do and so I have a very strong sense of giving back as well not just to my university but also to many other causes that I support. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Could you give an overview for someone who's maybe not familiar with AGF on what the company is and maybe what you do?
1: Um, sure. AGF Management, it was started in 1957, actually, by my father and uh, another gentleman named Alan Manford. Uh, at the time, they had a very simple idea of just uh, collecting a bunch of different individuals' money and putting it together in what was called a mutual fund and offering Canadian investors the opportunity to get access to U.S. equities. And that was the namesake fund, American Growth Fund. And now it is AGF. And we started with pretty much dollar one back in 57. We now manage about 43 billion of assets under management for Canadian investors and international investors, uh, whether it be retail, uh, high net worth or institutional investors around the world. And so it's been a great ride we have about 600 employees. I started here as general counsel and uh, have pretty much touched every aspect of the business um, since 1998 when I joined and now I am president and head of global distribution.
0: It's so crazy that it started with a dollar and now it is up to billions of dollars and it's really nice hearing, one, that it's a family business and two, I think reminding you know, students especially that something so small can grow to be something so big. I think a lot of times we just look at the big conglomerates out there and can only see what they've accomplished now and really forget to look at where they started. So I think it's a really important reminder as well.
1: It is and being able to grow from and within a family structure, like there's a family component to the business, but we are publicly traded. So there's still a very uh, strong sense of capital markets in the business here. Uh, and of course, we're dealing with international markets around the world uh, all the time. And so it's, it's got this great vibrancy of sort of a family dynamic, yet uh, an international and publicly capital markets focused uh, business.
0: And you've been in the corporate world for a very long time now. So the first question I wanted to ask you is what continues to be your biggest motivator each and every day?
1: So I think I was wondering about um, how how best to phrase this. I think, you know, when I first started out, my motivation was really I was just a driven female wanting to prove myself in arguably a men's world at the time. Um, and then as I got a little older, it really became you know a passion to just want to succeed. And then I've been fortunate. Uh, a little bit later in life, I had two daughters. And I have two daughters, thankfully, and um, they are two wonderful uh, teenagers at this point who still talk to me, which is wonderful as well. Um, (laughs) I want to make sure that they've got every opportunity possible to succeed at whatever they choose to do and that every opportunity is available for them. Uh, One of the stories I always recount is when I was working here as a summer student, actually at AGF uh, with my father, I asked him if if he thought it was possible that I could succeed and possibly join AGF. And uh, it had always been a dream of mine. And he said, absolutely. You just have to work twice as hard as the man beside you. And I think that that message has changed. I certainly hope it has. But I certainly accepted those rules at the time, that those rules of engagement, that's what you had to do. And I just want to make sure that my daughters don't have that same sort of test or threshold, that every opportunity and door should be open for them
0: that line is really powerful, that you had to work twice as hard as a male who was in the exact same role as you or even maybe below you. So as you reflect now on your career, was that line true? And what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome?
1: Uh, was it true? Well, I made it true. So I did just prove myself by working twice as hard. And and I won't deny that you know, being a gold ring in a gold rings business, you had to prove yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not gonna be given anything Uh, Gratuitously, you you did have to work very hard to establish your own personal uh, brand, your own personal credibility, and your own personal work ethic. And once that got shown, and people understood what I could contribute personally, then you can start to see successes across your career. In terms of my greatest challenge, uh, I don't know, but I, I guess when I think about it, it was probably having to overcome just that perception that I, as a female leader in a business, and plus I was converting from law into business. Right and the different skill sets are being expected of that. And knowing what I didn't know was really important lesson for me to learn and knowing that I just could hire or have to work with people or want to work with people who were better than me. Because I think it's really important in life to know what you don't know, go out, hire the people who are talented in doing those things that you don't have the skill set in doing and being able to rely on them and, and uh, work with them closely.
0: Do you think that being a woman and, you know, just in general, in your career, that it was harder to ask questions because you didn't want to seem like you didn't know the answer? Is it something that you feel you had to really learn? Because I know something, you know, even from my personal experiences in school, as well as, you know, in my past internship is I didn't want to make it seem like I didn't know the answer. But if I didn't know the answer, I wasn't didn't want to make it seem like I did so that if they did ask me a question, I wouldn't know the answer. But I feel there's a, also a bit of trying to prove yourself, but also trying to learn that something's difficult when you are you know trying to prove yourself in the workplace.
1: Yeah, you know, I think women are particularly hard on ourselves uh, around this issue. You know, it's always it's been proven in research after research that uh, if you get a, a job description around an opportunity for a potential new job, women will not respond or apply to that job unless they feel they have about 98 to 99% of the qualifications and it's right. been proven men will jump in if it's like 65 or 75% of the qualifications. It's just a very different mindset. I think similarly answering questions and being feeling that you have to have all the answers is something mm-hmm. that we we women, we do take very seriously. And I certainly had that same experience. I think law drives that out of you because in law you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to respond. And sometimes you might not have all the facts, but you have to deal with whatever you've been present, presented with and was put in front of you. And so I, I, by the time I came to AGF, cause I was, was in private practice for about seven years practicing law. And by the time I came to AGF um, I was at the point where I, could at least ask the question and again not know what you don't know
0: and i think it's a great connection uh, one of our last episodes was with Layla rafi who is currently a corporate securities lawyer so she talked a lot about her experiences you know in corporate securities law if there's anything else you wanted to add regarding your law degree and how that really benefited you think your business degree i'd love to hear because i think it's great to see both sides of someone who got a law degree and stayed in the law side of uh, corporate world and someone who took their law degree and really went more towards you know asset management and finances
1: Yeah, I mean, the law degree, I think, is a fantastic degree because it just um, opens up the doors. One thing that was very exciting about being in the private practice was that every day you didn't know what would be handed to you. Every day you had a kind of a slightly different problem, even if it was in the same area of of, uh, particular practice that you were doing. It still had different nuances, still different issues. And sometimes you were learning all kinds of Uh, fundamental issues that you just had no idea about previously. And so you're always learning and that's always exciting. And so being curious and always being able to apply your basic skill set against a new set of facts was something that was really um, important. The opportunity to come over to AGF as general counsel was exciting for me, obviously, because I wanted to be able to come to work here. Um, We never had in-house counsel previously. And in fact, um, my father had always told me that they never would hire in-house counsel because it would be considered too expensive. And as a lawyer in a business, you're just an overhead expense and who wanted to carry that cost. Right. Uh, so as a result, I had kind of written off the opportunity to join AGF when well, I guess maybe fortuitously mutual funds and, and particular products we're selling are so heavily regulated and that regulate, regulatory sort of oversight really starts to increase during the nineties. And by the late 1990s, they decided they did need in-house counsel and an opportunity surface for me to come join here. And so coming over originally as a lawyer, it was great. I mean, I still was able to practice what I was practicing. It was a different approach. I was able to call up the lawyers, get their advice, support the business, and really focus on one core client, in this case being AGF. Uh, And then it was really the opportunity to do non-legal things where you Mm -hmm. start to sort of stretch into areas that were quite uncomfortable in the beginning. And then over time, you start to realize you know, this is uh, a lot of fun running a business. (laughs) So I was able to make that transition.
0: And so going back at this point in your career, you've been wanting to join AGF, you know, you've watched your father build it, you've been in a legal career now for seven years. Entering AGF, what was the pressure like from you? Did you feel there was added pressure since, you know, you did really want to work at AGF and you obviously, you know, wanted to make a name for yourself in addition to what you were already transitioning from a lawyer to a more um, non-law career?
1: Yeah. So I think being able to come over as a lawyer with that skill set, with that already uh, built-in credibility, having had uh, seven years of private practice um, behind me, uh, it it just gave me an immediate leg up, if you will, in the Mm -hmm. sense that people took me seriously. They said, okay, she's got some credibility because she has done this in private practice before. And I would highly recommend that before anybody move even to any in-house counsel role, do some mm-hmm. private practice because it does give you that broad-based experience and understanding how a client needs to hear your responses as an outside counsel, what you need as an inside counsel. I just think it's a very good experience to broaden some of these broader uh, depth uh, and contribution to a company. And so when I came in-house, it was just something that I think we... we uh, you know, they were ready to have me there because they did need somebody in house. And so again, I just felt that I had a bit of a leg up because of the credibility of my past practice.
0: For sure. And so now looking back on your career, you know, you mentioned you have two daughters yourself and something that I've heard a lot of women struggle with, whether it be my colleagues, peers, or other mentors I've talked to in the workforce is this idea of finding a voice. And really that small border between feeling like you can be assertive and share your views and then feeling like you're being too assertive and, you know, not, and, you know, stepping on toes in the workplace. So what would be your tips to uh, young professionals out there who might be struggling with this and really trying to find that balance of, you know, being assertive and sharing your views while also like maintaining relationships and building those relationships in the workplace?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the best thing that I found, it was really about being available, being open-minded, speaking your voice, Uh, finding opportunities and then seizing them and really, you know, I really never said no when an opportunity came up. And i say that not just for job expansion roles and opportunities to do different things at the company, but also even um, in my charitable and not-for-profit work. And so by never saying no, first of all, it became extremely busy, which was always good. And I love being busy, but you get such a broad depth of experience and you learn different personalities uh, and, and you learn how to deal with different personalities. And I think that's a very important thing as well. So it's really about being at the forefront, making sure you're present and, and available, making sure that you're taking and seizing opportunities when presented. Um, having a voice means also do speak up. One of the great things about COVID, frankly, through this uh, virtual environment that we're working in now, it really is an equalizer. You know, mm-hmm. you have every opportunity as the next box on the next screen, any part of that screen, anybody can speak up. And I think it's really important to just, you know, raise your hand and make a point and, you know, don't say something superfluous or, or sort of silly, but if you have a contribution to make, make sure you say it, even though it's nerve wracking. I mean, I used to always get very nervous with any kind of speaking, particularly in meetings where you're thinking someone's expecting me to say something. But if you actually do say something, uh, I think people will start to notice and you make that contribution, which is really important.
0: And I think, and I'd love to hear your input on this, it's important to also understand that it's not something that is going to happen overnight. And I think making small changes at every meeting or maybe setting smaller goals at every meeting you attend for a month or two months is what's really going to help you kind of break down this really big barrier that I think a lot of women, and as you previously mentioned, like women just don't feel as capable sometimes. And if we see a job opportunity that we don't feel, we 100% have all the qualifications for, we just don't apply ourselves. So I think it's also breaking down and i think that's something that makes it seem a bit more manageable when you look at something as big and scary as like finding a voice in the workplace which might seem like a very daunting title
1: yeah a fair point i mean i think in the old days i say pre-covid and pre you know uh, the office environment we would say like show up at a meeting take the seat center seat in the table you know go to the the boardroom table and don't sit in the perimeter around the table sit at the core table Um, Similarly, with with, uh, the Zoom screens, you know, that is about um, making sure you turn your screen on, you know, be present. Because so many people just think, oh, good, this is a meeting, I don't have to put the camera on. Put the camera on. Because that's as much as taking a seat at the table as it is, uh, you know, virtually. And so those are the simple things to do. And as you say, set small goals around, okay, at this meeting, I'm going to say a comment on this. Or make sure you're prepared that if you look at an agenda, where can you make the contribution? No one's expecting you to know everything. No one's expecting you to comment on every part of it pick your pick where you feel most comfortable that you can make a good contribution and then you'll be heard.
0: I really like the advice you just gave, but going back into the in-person office, cause I know we were speaking before the podcast started, but a lot of young professionals and maybe people who have switched companies during COVID have not been in an office setting in a very long time. And it's, the i mean i have never worked full-time in an office so i can't even comment on this but i would assume that the etiquette and the best practices of being in a virtual meeting and being in an person meeting are very different so I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because i don't think it's something that i've heard anyone really talk about in the last few months
1: well it's almost uh you feel almost like you're aging yourself by talking about pre-covid <laughs> COVID feels like it's gone on for a generation but um i actually attended the uh, CEO for a day on Friday. And one of the speakers at that event had a great line, which was "dress for your next job. And so when, you know, we're all very comfortable at home with the camera off in our track pants, at some point, you know, I got to believe particularly young people is who I feel the worst for. They've Mm got to be feeling that they want to just get out and have an opportunity to be seen, to be heard, to really engage. And that's how you get the energy and passion around your job and your career and the, the growth of that. And so, you know, that's a good piece of advice as well. When you do come back, because it will eventually come back to some form, you know, dress for your next job, like don't dress for the job you're currently in, however that uh, appears to you.
0: The Business Casual is proud to share that this episode is sponsored by the CEO for a Day program hosted by Audres Bernstein. The CEO for a day program is designed to close the gap between students and CEOs by identifying promising future leaders and giving them the opportunity to learn business and leadership skills from top Canadian executives. This global initiative is led by integrated leadership advisory firm Auders Bernstein and has been running in Canada for the past eight years, matching 126 students with 124 CEOs from across the country. New this year, the program hosted a future leader summit, which included a panel of three CHROs from prominent Canadian companies, a Hogan Leadership Assessment Debrief, and small online group breakout sessions with CEOs. This year, the program expanded eligibility to include third and fourth year students from any Canadian college program. CEO for a Day helps students jumpstart their careers. It provides incredible opportunities to learn from a CEO and from CHROs to find out what they value, what they look for in their people, and how they are approaching the future of work. So if you are looking to meet and network with other C-suite executives like Judy, be sure to check out the CEO for a Day program hosted by Audra's Brinson, and you can find all the necessary links in our show notes. Once again, thank you, Audra's Brinson, for sponsoring this episode. And looking to the future, one question I want to ask you is, what excites you about what you see in this next generation, and do you feel that there have been fundamental changes being a woman in asset management?
1: So what excites me about this generation is, you know, as I mentioned in my story earlier, work twice as hard as a man beside you. You know, I always sort of fashioned that to okay, that was those were the rules of engagement. I knew in the eighties that that was the role that I was playing in, and in order for me to achieve success and to succeed, generally speaking, I needed to just play against those rules, which were basically the rules set by that generation, largely men, in particularly in the financial services business. So you had men setting the rules. I knew what the rules were, were and I had to uh, just play by them. What we're finding today I think is that we are in such an environment of volatility, such an environment of complexity and ambiguity that I admire the skill sets that the generation of today have to bring to, 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 to their game. You know, you've got to know about how to collaborate. You have to appreciate diversity and understand how to be truly inclusive. You, you can't fake that stuff. You don't get taught that stuff either. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be able to be resilient because there's so much change going on so quickly and, you know, technology platforms change overnight and you have to be able to figure out how to use them. And it's just uh, very admirable skills that are not taught at school. So I admire those that can really succeed and and get beyond that. And those are the skills that I think people are going to need going forward.
0: I hope that's reassuring for students to hear, because I think, again, when you're early in your career, you feel that you really don't have all of the skills and you don't have all the skills and you shouldn't and you're not expected to but you do have unique skills that others in the workplace don't have coming from a student from a different generation than those who are currently working so i think it's also important to understand what unique values you bring and what are some of the differences and the unique things you can bring to the table and really leverage that especially early on to help make a name for yourself and help really um kind of mark your or, or help differentiate you from others in the workplace
1: yeah i agree
0: so moving a little bit off of the topic of your corporate career, I want to talk about mentorship. And I know it's something that, you know, you mentioned you are really passionate about giving back to your community and you've done a lot of um, donating and mentorship programs. So among all the people who you've worked with, who do you admire the most and why?
1: In terms of real life people that I've worked with? Yes, really, <laughs> I mean, I'd have to go with my father. Um, and, you know... I say that as dispassionately, not just as a, a you know, a daughter who just admires their father. But he was uh what I always like to call as the the a true gentleman, a man of his word, a man of integrity, um, a man who was very um critical in the sense of um being analytical and able to see through a problem, but also very um, um unbiased in his approach and how he would try to resolve issues and so humble and uh very philanthropic as well and so i come by it honestly in fact my grandfather was one of the uh, original founders of what would become the united way of toronto and so you know he instilled that in my father and my father's instilled it in my brother myself and my siblings and uh you know we just do believe in in giving back uh and and i you know it's for all those reasons that my father who very quietly and, and plotted through and built this company. And he was a man that respected the employee, respected the work that the employees would do for AGF, and on behalf of AGF. And he had a very strong sense of culture as well that, that I think still translates uh, to, to into today's environment at AGF.
0: And so I'm assuming that for all of those reasons and the mentorship that you received from your father is why you're so passionate now about more mentorship. And how has that shaped your career and especially your career as a female throughout, you know? your career
1: so uh first of all i guess when i'm passionate and passionate about um mentoring because it provides a purpose and i think having Mm -hmm. a purpose in all aspects of one's life is really important and mentoring itself is really critical so being able to engage in this case i do focus typically on women young women um i've done it through wxn for example i've spoken to students at rotman's i've obviously done the ceo for a day with Audrey bernstein to try to share uh insights for young individuals coming out, eventually coming out into the workplace um, and other uh, opportunities and avenues, even internally at our company, making sure that we can provide um, our own guidance and insights to uh, young women in particular to see how they can make sure that they can get the good career advice that they need to move forward. And I think what's so important about mentoring is, you you provide an objective, um, unadulterated opinion, if you will. Uh, based on somebody's experience and you're able to share your experience, but at the same time come together and um, sort of share examples of how we're each responding. And then what typically I'm older than than the others. And I can share, you know, sort of what I've seen and how things evolve and what's really important in a career. And what's really important in careers to remember, it is a marathon. It is Mm -hmm. not a sprint and it is so important to remember that along the way. And I can tell you very Often the young people are always so keen that when can I get the next job? How do I get promoted faster? How do I make sure I'm doing all the right things? It's like, these things will be noticed in time, provided you're very clear in your goals and objectives and provided you know ultimately where you want to go. You know, you just have to be um, patient. A little bit of patience goes a long way.
0: A very good reminder, especially in a period of time where everyone just wants everything so quickly, myself included. I'm always looking to the next best thing, the next best thing. But I think it is a really good reminder that it is, not a sprint, but a marathon, because I think, again, from a student perspective, it's typically a sprint. Like you're looking really quickly. You finish high school, you go to university, you look for your master's, whatever job internship for four months, then it's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then you get to your job and you're like, I have 40 plus years and it really is up to you of what you want to do in those 40 years.
1: I know. And I have uh, several nieces and a nephew. And um, it's always interesting to me for these young people today, how quickly they just—if they don't like what they're having seen at the job, then they switch jobs, rather than trying to stick it out and see if there's some other way to talk to a manager or work it through, or you know, and maybe that's the right decision, maybe it's not. I don't know, but I can tell you, cumulatively, they've got more uh, job placements than I ever have had in my entire life, <laughs> and I've been <laughs> in business fifty years, and so it's uh, it's crazy. <laughs>
0: I think it's something we talked about uh, again on a recent episode in terms of it's one of those things that's not talked about but you see people like every two years it's almost like there's an expiry date two years hits and someone changes and someone changes and like you said it depends on the situation it depends on the individual and the company of what's best for your career but I think it is important to take a holistic view of what that means for your career and what that means for your current relationships and really ensuring that every opportunity you're given is really taken and thought through before just jumping to the next thing because it's exciting and new.
1: Yeah, and what I find interesting is if you're changing jobs because you want to develop a new skill set or you want exposure to a different sort of sector sector or part of the industry that you're working in, that makes good sense. If it's just changing for the sake of change, then you really should think twice about it.
0: Great advice. I think one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is that you were nominated four times in a row for Canada's Most Powerful Top 100 Woman and was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 2015, which is such an amazing accomplishment. So congratulations on that. What would you say right now to a 20-year-old who eventually wants to reach that point in their career? Uh,
1: so it was never planned. Like, you don't plan these things. And so as um, the opportunity surfaced for me to even apply to the Top 100 Most Powerful uh, or, or work through the process and nomination process... Um, you know, it's one of those things where you have friends and colleagues and networking people who make these recommendations and applications, nominations for you. And so um, I guess networking is important because that's ultimately um, what helps you at the end of the day. And, and networking doesn't have to be seen to be a negative pejorative word, and it doesn't have to require a lot of work. I mean, I think a lot of what I would call people I would quote unquote network with, they actually become good friends over time. And, and you know, you start as early as people in your graduating class or your MBA or your Robbins program, or whichever course you're taking at U of T, um, and you will develop friendships that will last a lifetime and everybody that you get to meet across your journey of your career, they're all going to help shape your experience and going to give you opportunities and shape your ultimate you know, uh, career journey. And I think that's a really important message to remember is that networking doesn't have to be, I have to go to that cocktail party or whatever, whatever it is in these Zoom roles now. <laughs> Um, you know, But it is important to do it. And I think it's important to do it because it enriches your life and it enriches opportunities as well down the road. And I do think, as I say, you can make great friendships out of it. And so some of the things I would tell you know, 20 to 25 years is sort of what I've said before is be a bit patient, not to be too patient, but be a bit patient if you're looking at job opportunities um, and what you can get out of a particular role, making sure that you um, are identifying what your particular goals are what skills you need for that, and how do you go about developing those skills? I can tell you in the early years in law, I was never a very comfortable public speaker. And I consciously said to myself uh, for a period of two years in the area of practice that I was working that I would go and be on the speaker circuit and go do those conferences just to train myself up, even though I hated it. I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. But you do it because I really was conscious that I needed to develop that skill set, And uh, over time, it ultimately has you know, paid up, paid off, and so again, just be very clear around what you want to achieve, and I think that that will go a long way. And then leverage your network to help you get there.
0: I feel like that answers my last question as well, which is always on the business casual. If there's one last piece of advice you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career, or that you've been given that's really stuck with you, I don't know if you wanted to add anything else because I think that was a very good piece of advice. But I will, I will pass it off to you.
1: <laughs> no, I. I I probably did say it all in terms of a good closing <laughs> line. <laughs> um, I just think uh, you know it's a wonderful thing, and for women in particular, don't shy away from being in the workplace. I think there's so many uh, opportunities. Women have to show up as well. And I know that the um, pandemic has been particularly hard, particularly on young working women. And uh, we have to support each other. We got to make sure we uh, develop that pipeline You know, in the asset management industry specifically. We have to do more to get women in the investment management portfolio management side of the business. Uh, filling that pipeline is really critical. Uh, and then paying it forward and mentoring and giving it back. And again, doing things like uh, attending the CEO for a day is an opportunity to get exposure and experience to more senior people that can give insights and share, share, share their uh, views and, and provide some guidance and advice.
0: Well, thank you so much, Judy, for sharing your expertise and advice here on the Business Casual and for uh, paying it forward to our listeners. We really appreciate your time. And I really do think that your advice resonated with a lot of um, young professionals listening. I know myself, just friends alone who are at Rotman, who are hoping to enter the asset management field and investment banking and really go that route. So I hope this is was helpful for them and hopefully maybe inspired someone else who m- was not thinking about going down this career path, but maybe now is. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I really enjoyed this, Stacey.